everybody. Welcome back to the Preternaturally Inclined Podcast. Today is a bonus episode. Today is April 30th, Walpurgis Night, or Walpurgis Nacht. Today's episode will all be about Walpurgis Nacht, its origins, its meanings, and its various roles within cultures. Let's start from the beginning. Why is it named Walpurgisnacht, or Walpurgis Night. It's a Saint Walpurgis Night, or German Sankt Walpurgisnacht, also known as Saint Walpurgis Eve, or Walpurgis Eve. It's the eve of a Christian feast day of Saint Walpurgia, an 8th century abbess in Francia, and is celebrated on the night of 30th of April and the day of May 1st. This feast commemorates the canonization of St. Walpurga and the movement of her relics Eichstadt, both of which occurred on the 1st of May in the year 870. St. Walpurga was hailed by the Christians of Germany for battling pest, rabies, and whooping cough, as well as against witchcraft, unquote. In German folklore, Hexenacht, literally Witch's Night, was believed to be the night of a witch's meeting on the Brachen, the highest peak in the Harz Mountains, a range of wooded hills in central Germany between the rivers Weser and Elbe. And to further illuminate a bit on what this all means, I'm going to read from J.G. Uh, Fraser's book, The Golden Bough. In Central Europe, the favorite time for expelling the witches is, or was, Walpurgis Night, the eve of May Day, when the baleful powers of those mischievous beings were supposed to be at their height. In the Tyrol, for example, as in other places, the expulsion of the powers of evil at this season goes by the name Burning Out the Witches. It takes place on May Day, but people have been busy with their preparations for days before. On a Thursday at midnight, bundles are made up of resinous splinters, black and red spotted hemlock, caperspurge, caperspurge, rosemary, and the twigs of the slow. These are kept and burned in Mayday by men who must first have received plenary absolution from the church. And plenary absolution, I believe that's like the plenary indulgence thing from dogma. They're just cleared of all sins or whatever. On the last three days of April, all the houses are cleansed and fumigated with juniper berries and rue. On Mayday, when the evening bell has rung and the twilight is falling, the ceremony of the quote-unquote burning out the witches begins. Men and boys make a racket with whips, bells, pots and pans. The women carry censers. The dogs are unchained and run barking and yelping about. As soon as the church bells begin to ring, the bundles of twigs, fastened on poles, are set on fire and the incense is ignited. Then all the house bells and dinner bells are rung. Pots and pans are clashed. Dogs bark. Everyone must make a noise. And amidst all this hubbub, all scream at the pitch of their voices, "'Witch, flee! Flee from here!' or it will go ill with thee. Then they run seven times round the houses, the yards, as you do, and the village. So the witches are smoked out of their lurking places and driven away. The custom of expelling the witches on Walpurgis Night is still, or was down to recent years, observed in many parts of Bavaria and among the Germans of Bohemia. Thus in the Bo- Bomerwald Mountains, all of the young fellows at the village resemble after suns- assemble after sunset on some height, especially at a crossroad, and crack, whi- crack whips while in unison with all of their strength. 
This drives away the witches. For so far as the sound of the whips are heard, these maleficent beings can do no harm. In some places, where the young men are cracking their whips, the herdsmen wind their horns, and long-drawn notes, heard far off in the silence of night, are very effectual for banning the witches. And then it goes on to talk about the twelve days between Christmas and Epiphany, and how that was kind of a witching time. We won't get into that here. But um, basically the idea was, on this night, the Christians would pray to God through the intercession of St. Walpurga in order to protect themselves from witchcraft. As St. Walpurga was successful in converting the local populace to Christianity, and in other parts of Christendom, people continued to light bonfires on St. Walpurga's Eve in order to ward off evil spirits and witches. Others have historically made Christian pilgrimage to St. Walpurga's tomb in Eichstadt on the Feast of St. Walpurga, often obtaining vials of St. Walpurga's oil. I wonder what kind of oil that is. Local variants of Walpurgis Night, which are observed throughout Europe, they call it in the Netherlands, they call it a Mayblaze, or Miarblis, um, and they perform it on the Hexenacht, which as we know is the Witch's Night, in Germany as well. In Finland, it's like, they call it the Vapen. Uh, in the Czech Republic, it's like the Parony Karajinek, and that's like the burning out the witches. Or Karajinek, I'm, I'm terrible with these pronunciations. Estonio, they call it Volbrio, with uh, two little dots over those O's. And uh, Sweden's Valborg, and they also have ones in Lithuania. Latva, Finland. Denmark, it still continues. Where they burn them off, and it's observed, they call it St. John's Eve. And then the Hexenacht in Germany, it's uh, from the 30th of April to the 1st of May. And this is the night when witches are reputed to hold a large celebration on the Brocken and await the arrival of spring. And it's held on the same night as St. Walpurgis. Right now, I'm going to read a little bit from, more from the uh, J.G. Fraser, where he mentions this exact thing. This is related to the chapter in his book of the Beltane Fires. And it says a bit more of how... Well, we'll get, to, we'll get more to the Beltane parts in just a little bit. What's interesting about this, too, is they, they mentioned the Brockter, the Brocken Spectre. And the Brocken Spectre is a magnified shadow of an observer, typically surrounded by rainbow-like bands thrown onto the bank of cloud in high mountain areas when the sun is low. And it was first reported in the Brocken. I couldn't find too much else on that. Then they mention uh, Goethe. He's mentioned in uh, Goethe's Faust Part 1. And uh, they mention it in, in uh, Bram Stoker's short story, Dracula's Guest. And so, a lot of the things that'll happen throughout history, I mean, a lot of things that happen throughout history about this day, for example, is a lot of huge fires were, were uh, lit. So, like, a lot of northern coastal regions of Germany, they still light fires all the time when they're coming of May. And then they've uh, had a Christianized, in some parts of Germany, there's a Christianized custom where they light Easter fires, or what they call Osterfeuer. And in rural parts, it's still a popular culture to play pranks. You screw around with people's gardens, you hide possessions, and you spray graffiti. 
And then there's traditional leftist May Day riots over in Berlin. They start on Walpurgis Night over in the Mauer Park in the Prenzlauer Berg. And in the Schanzenviertel district of Hamburg as well. But it's calmed down recently. What's interesting though about the bonfires, they're essential to the ancient belief of Walpurgis Night or May Day or May's Eve. The running theme is simply that the fires will drive away the demons or witches and the other beliefs in ancient times, especially the Irish, involve a different meaning than their later Christianized model. Now, the Irish called the day Beltian, and it's the anglicized name for the Gaelic May Day Festival. It was held on May 1st, or sometimes halfway, or, you know, around about halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Throughout history, most people will say that it's observed throughout Ireland, in Scotland, the Isle of Man. And in Irish, they call it La Beltian. In Scottish Gaelic, it's La Beltane. I'm murdering the pronunciations. In Max Gaelic, it's La Beltane or Belding. It's one of the four Gaelic seasonal festivals. Sahen, Imbolc, Lugnazad are the other three. And then they, they mention uh, Welsh Kalan Ma here as well. And the interesting thing about Beltian is it's one of the first things that mentioned in one of the earliest Irish literature as one of the, its most important events that's in Irish mythology. It was their beginning of summer and was when cattle was driven out in the summer pastures. And they would perform all sorts of rituals to protect the cattle, all the crops, and, you know, all the people, and it would, it would encourage growth and everything. They would kindle special bonfires and all this sort of things. And they would think that the smoke, the ashes, all the flames, everything of the bonfires would have protective powers. All the people in the villages and uh, take all their cows and they'd walk around the bonfire, oftentimes in between two of them, and they would leap over the flames or embers. And then they would, this was really important, very important that all of the fires inside the house had to be taken, had to be doused. And then relit from the bonfire that was held on Beltan. And in the gatherings that they would have, they'd have a nice big feast, lots of food and drink. And I believe that they called some version of their pantheon the IOC. I, that's a terrible pronunciation. Um, they would uh, decorate all their doors. All their windows and buyers, I'm not sure what a buyer is, with yellow mayflowers. And maybe that was because the yellow mayflowers was this, it evoked like a fire kind of a thing within the mind. And then there, there was a thing where they would use maybush. Certain things in Ireland would have maybush. It was like a, it was a thorn bush they decorate with flowers, all sorts of shells and ribbons. And they would visit holy wells. They would gather dew off of, uh, you know, that specific bush, or nowadays people say off of any plants, and it would help with you know beauty and youthfulness if you wash your face. That some people would drink the dew and that sort of a thing. And for the most part, recently a lot of these festivals have died out, and I mean. And people have been reviving them kind of as a cultural event. A lot of neo-pagans, Celtic neo-pagans, a lot of Wiccans, they observe it nowadays. 
or something similar to it, and they call it like a religious holiday. I mean, Anton LaVey in the Satanic Bible mentions it as one of the two most important holidays besides your own birthday, uh, the, which the two most important holidays he mentions are May's Eve and Al Hallow's Eve. The Church of Satan, uh, LaVey's own personal brand of Satanism, was founded on uh, May's Eve, 1966. So it brings us to kind of how the ancients would mark their festivals, mark their times throughout the year. Uh, their four Gaelic season festivals, they had, of course, Sahen, which was your Halloween, um, which would be obviously October 31st and uh, November 1st, that kind of a thing. Imbolc, which I'm just mangling that, of uh, the 1st of February. Beltian, the 1st of May. And Lugnizad, which was the 1st of August. Beltian was generally the beginning of their summer season. So it was the way that they viewed the world, where the fires would bring in a, like a healthy crop, a healthy harvest, and everything like that. And the interesting thing about people having to evoke, using the fire, having to kind of drive away the dark spirits or drive away the witches or anything that they would consider, any kind of like uh, fairy folk or anything they would consider would injure their crops, it was necessary for their survival. So these need fires, as they're called, are summoned up from a pretty heavy, heavy area. As we talk about the oldest mention is in Gaelic Ireland. And in the early medieval texts, Sans Cormac and the Tomac Emir, Beltian was held on May 1st and marked, like I say, the beginning of summer. And then they would have the two fires created with great incantations and they would have the cattle go between them as a way of like purifying. And then there was a historian, Jeffrey Keating. He would say that there was a great gathering at the hill of Usnik, or Usnik, I have no idea how to pronounce that word, uh, each Beltane in medieval Ireland. And they would sacrifice a god to, they would sacrifice to a god named Baal, or Bial, or Baal. Two bonfires would be lit in every district. Cattle would be driven between them to protect them from disease. No reference to the gathering is really in all of the ancient works. But one of the medieval scholars, Dionas Dindesinkas, talks about a tale of a hero. He would light a holy fire on Usnak, and it would blaze for seven years. And some people believe that this may be, actually, a specific author, Ronald Hutton, believes this may be a way to preserve tradition from Baaltown ceremonies in that area. He continues to say that Keating, or his source, may simply have conflated this legend with the information in Sinus Cormac to produce a piece of pseudo-history. But excavations at Usenak in the 20th century found evidence of large fires and charred bones, charred bones showing it to be ritually significant. An in interesting thing about bonfires, they've always stayed in a big, big part of the history of it. All of, like we say before, all of the candles had to be completely eliminated. All of the bonfires had to be, 
all our sorry, all the hearth fires had to be turned out before a bonfire was lit, and it was always in the top of a hill. Ronald Hutton writes, quote unquote, and I quote, <laughs> to increase the potency of holy flames, in Britain at least, they were often kindled by the most primitive of all means of friction between wood. And John Ramsay described Scottish Highlanders having to kindle a knee fire, or what was called a force fire, at Beltane. These fires were seen, they were deemed sacred to these cultures. And even more uh, references to the driving cow between two fires, almost a thousand years before, was still practiced in most parts of Ireland and Scotland. And a lot of times they'd be driven around them or made to, to drop, to jump over the flames or the embers. And then the people would do the same. And then on the Isle of Man, they had to make sure that the smoke would go over the cattle. And then after the celebration, a lot of people would daub themselves with the ashes of the smoke, or the ashes of the fire, rather, sprinkle it over their crops and livestock. The torches would be taken home, they'd be carried around the house, and then a lot of these torches would be used to relight the fire on the hearth. And when you look at all these rituals, it makes perfect sense that they, they saw the fire as having a protective power. The similar rituals of May Day, and over in Easter, in a lot of customs, and in Midsummer, in a lot of these, are similar. And Fraser had a good point when he mentions how the fire rituals, they're kind of like an imitative or sympathetic magic in a way. They would burn away... I guess you could say the demons burn away the casts of, of everything that they had wrought from the past year and bring it anew. And by spreading the ashes, they, without their knowledge, not necessarily, I'm sure they knew, but without their knowledge, was actually increasing something for the soil that it may have lacked. So it actually did help their crops scientifically, even. Another big part of um, Walpurgis Night, and you guys better be collecting on this tonight, is food. They'd always have food at the bonfire, and they'd have rituals involving all of that food. There was Alexander Carmichael. He had wrote one time that there was a feast with lamb, and the lamb was sacrificed in the old days. And Thomas Pennant also had said that in Pertshire, a cuddle made from eggs, butter and oatmeal and milk was cooked on the bonfire. Some of it was poured on the ground, kind of as like a libation sacrifice. Then everybody would eat the oatmeal cake, and they called it the Bannock Beltan, or the Beltane Bannock. And a bit of it was offered to the spirits to protect their livestock. One bit to the horses, one bit to the sheep, and so forth. And a bit was offered to each of the animals that might, one might, each of the animals that might harm their livestock. They had given it one of the fox, the eagle, and all that, and then they would drink it at the end. 18th century writers would say that in Scotland there was another ritual involving the oatmeal cake. The cake would be cut, and one of the slices marked with charcoal. And then they'd put the slices in a bonnet. Everyone would take out one, and they're all blindfolded. And one guy, he said that whoever got the marked piece, you'd have to jump through the fire three times. Another guy said those present pretended to throw him into the fire. And for some times afterwards, they would speak of him as if he were dead. And what he he had been quoted as saying, quote, This may embody an actual memory of human sacrifice. Or a memory of actual human sacrifice, rather. I mean, it's probably just symbolic. And then another one 
kind of like of burning someone in a fire was done at the spring and summer bonfire sessions in other parts of Europe. So now we get into the floofy doofy maypoles and yobby doopy dappa. And a lot of things about this holiday, you think, well, people dance around maypoles. A lot of naked fat chicks dance around maypoles, and I'm, I'm down. Sign me up. Just like in that, uh, that other one. That one podcast. <laughs> so, flowers and maybushes were definitely a huge weird part of the whole thing. They have primrose, rowan, hawthorn, gorse, hazel, marsh, marigold. They put all of those at their doorways and their windows. And this was always in like the Isle of Man, Ireland, and Scotland. Loose flowers are just thrown around at doors and windows and they were made into bouquets, garlands, crosses, all that sort of things. They tie them to cows, they tie them to equipment. And they really, they, I think they really enjoyed those burning yellow flowers. I think it really like kind of reminded them of fire. And a lot of the customs are found in very similar ways all around Europe. And then the bush. Uh, the bush that a lot of people would gather dew off of. It was a May bush. It was really popular in Ireland around until about the, like, you know, the 19th century. It was a little tree or like a branchy, typically kind of like a hawthorn, rowan, sycamore kind of a thing. They decorate it with a lot of flowers, ribbons, and all this sort of a thing. And then uh, they eventually outlawed the Maybush in Dublin and Belfast and all these weird, horrible, delicious places I would love to visit. And it was just because people would steal the Maybush of another. They got guilty of the other one and they would steal that one. They're like, hey, that one's mine. And it was... In some places, they would dance around it, and at the end of it, they'd burn it in the bonfire. And a lot of places, they it was totally necessary. They'd have to leave it in a place for a month. Thorn trees were definitely considered a very, like, sacred tree. And it was with the AOC, like, I believe that's uh, the Pantheon or some kind of deity. A maybush or may tree was found in many parts of Europe. And Fraser again mentions how, quote, the intention of these customs is to bring home to the village, to each house, the blessings in the tree spirit which had power to bestow. A lady, Emir Estin Evans, suggests that the Maybush custom may have come from England to, come from Ireland to England because it seemed to be found in areas with strong English influence. The Irish didn't think it was very lucky to destroy these trees. But I mean, lucky and unlucky trees, I mean, it was depending on the region. And it, it, people think that Beltane was the only time when was cutting thorn trees was even allowed. And bedecking a maybush with flowers, and it's still found among a lot of the ones in Newfoundland and some Eastern traditions in the East Coast. A lot of times, though, too, people would visit holy wells, which I assume were just wells that were blessed at Beltane and at the other ones of Imbolc and Lugnzad. And then they would go to these holy wells, they'd pray for health, and they'd walk sunwise from east to west, which I believe, depending on, what, is that Widdershins? I forget. They'd walk uh, east to west around the well, and they'd leave offerings. Coins or cluties! I'm not sure what a cluty really is. 
It was important that the first water drawn from the well in the Beltane was seen as especially potent, as it was it was the Beltane morning dew. At dawn, maidens would roll in the dew, wash their faces in it. It would be collected in a jar, left in the sun, and filtered. It was thought to increase the sexual attractiveness, maintain youthfulness, and help with skin ailments. Oh! Beltane dew, it's, it's the original snake oil, everybody. Enjoy. And a lot of times people would actually take steps to ward off or sort of appease the AOC, their, uh, their gods of Pantheon, perhaps. Uh, they would leave food or milk at the doorstep in places that are associated with uh, the fairy folk, the fairy trees, for example, almost like as an offering. The cattle would be brought to these fairy forts, and they'd take a tiny bit of their blood They'd pour the blood into the earth, and then they would have prayers for the herd's safety. Then sometimes they'd leave it to dry, and then they would burn it. It was thought that dairy products, I don't know why dairy products, but those were the ones that were the most at risk from harmful spirits. So in order to protect the whole farm and encourage all the good stuff, they'd lead a procession around the entire boundaries of that farm. They'd carry with them the seeds of grain. The implements of husbandry, the first well water, the herb vervain, or rowan as a substitute. The procession generally stopped at the four cardinal points of the compass, beginning in the east, and rituals were performed in each of the four directions. The festival persisted widely up until the 1950s, and some places the celebration continues today. So however the hell you guys are celebrating... I've got a Miller High Life on this fine, fine fucking evening. And I thought we'd be able to end this off with an ancient ritual. And as much as I could find from that hoary omniscient tome, the internet, I couldn't find a real simple short one. So, here's a little poem, or I guess lyrics technically... What the ritual author claims is a uh, ancient Scottish craft song. It's from a HTTP colon backslash backslash www.sacredtext.com backslash BOS backslash BOS 1110 sorry 110.htm I'll recite it now as a tribute to the ritual that time did not allow me to perform tonight. So here it goes. Walpurgis night, Walpurgis night, the time is right, the ancient powers awake. So dance and sing around the ring, and Beltane magic awake. Sorry, Beltane magic make. Walpurgis night, Walpurgis night, upon the eve of May, we'll merry meet and summer greet forever and a day. New life we see, in flower and in tree, and summer comes again. Be free and fair, like earth and air. The sunshine and rain. Walpurgis night, Walpurgis night, Upon the eve of May. We'll merry meet and summer greet Forever and a day. As magic fire be our desire To tread the pagan way, Our true will find and fulfill As drawn to brighter day. Walpurgis night, Walpurgis night, Upon the eve of May. We'll merry meet and summer greet Forever and a day. The pagan powers this night be ours, Let all the world be free. 
and sorrow cast into the past, and future blessed be. Walpurgis night, Walpurgis night, upon the eve of May, we'll merry meet and summer greet, forever and a day. And the eight Sabbaths, four of which we previously mentioned, uh, Imbolc, Lugnazad, Sahen, and today, Beltan, I'll cover on all the respected dates. We missed uh, the last one, the second of, uh, of February, but I'm going to do a little more research in the next one. All the horrible pronunciations, if anyone cares to correct me, go ahead and reach me at the email of, um, well, hold on, really quick. I'll be saying about the next one we'll be doing is uh, on uh, June fir- June 21st, rather, of this year about the summer solstice. We covering all the topics on that, and that will be this summer of love. Okay, yeah, reach out to me at uh, hypnosnicks at yahoo dot com or uh, Tosic at gmail dot com. That's H Y P N U S N Y X at yahoo dot com or S E T H A N O S T I C at gmail.com. Holy shit, I need a new email. Maybe I'll try to get one that says preternaturally inclined soon. Anyway, if you guys enjoyed this, you haven't seen one soon, I'm going to have another episode out on Thursday for the final up, I guess maybe the part two, part three series of the pineal gland. We'll be talking about uh, brain implants and what those could technically mean to perhaps some kind of Alzheimer's research or we'll try and get to the very bottom of exactly what the human brain truly is. I don't know. Well, if you want to listen next time, go ahead. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.